podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 17th of December. We are one week from Christmas Eve. I hope you're all keeping well. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network. This allows you to keep your data safe online and also change your online location so you want to access things like US Netflix or if you want to access the RTE player or the BBC iPlayer, wherever you are in the world, you can do that as well. Check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software package. Uh, Big night in the Premier League last night, six games in total, but I want to start very quickly with the news that Edinson Cavani has been charged by the FA uh, for that Instagram post that he put up a couple of weeks back um, where he used a terminology that is, I suppose, socially accepted where he's from, but obviously not socially accepted where he now lives. Um, I do think the charge is a little bit harsh. It's an aggravated breach of misconduct, apparently. Um, It seems a little bit harsh. And he does face a minimum three-match ban if found guilty. The term was used affectionately towards one of his teammates who'd set him up for a winning goal. It's the same terminology that Luis Suarez used a number of years back in his argument with Patrice Evra, obviously the situation was very different. They were they were arguing. This was not an argument. This was a teammate being nice to a teammate. Um, the FA have seen fit to charge the strike with a breach of their rule E3, alleging his post was insulting and or abusive and or improper and or brought the game into disrepute. Now, you can definitely argue that it was improper. And maybe it did bring the game into disrepute, but it was definitely not insulting or abusive to Rashford, um, as it was a friendly, friendly tone. Uh, it is further alleged that the comment constitutes an aggregated. I can't say that word. It is further alleged that the comment constitutes an aggravated breach, which is defined in FA Rule E three point two as it included reference, whether expressed or implied, to colour and or race and or ethnic origin. Cavani has until January 4th to respond to the charge. And as I said, he faces a three-match ban as a minimum if he's found guilty. It's very hard to see how he won't be found guilty unless they just take the line that it isn't, um, it wasn't meant in any way offensive, that it was a friendly post tanking his teammate. The issue is Cavani has apologized and he sort of admitted wrongdoing in the instant anyway. 
So maybe he will get the ban. I think it will be harsh if he gets banned. I really do. I think the best thing they can do here is to educate and use it as a teaching moment, not just for Cavani, but for any player that arrives in the Premier League. And I think this is something that needs to be fed to the clubs, that, look, if you sign players from certain parts of the world, be more aware of potential landmines with phraseology that they will use from their homeland that they just can't say. We saw another instance recently with the PSG Besiktas game where the linesman unfortunately referred to a person by their skin color. Now, a number of people, including John Barnes, have come out and defended the linesman. And again, I don't want to get into it because it, it's it's a real, real snake pit, isn't it? Like it, it just it's not something that you can defend, but at the same time, you don't want to condemn somebody without knowing them or the connotations that they were using it in and without having heard the conversation, there's only two people that actually know what the conversation was. The PSG bench heard something, but they don't know exactly what they heard. Or sorry, not the PSG bench, the Besiktas bench. They heard something and they heard what they thought was one word, which was actually another word just sounds really similar and it does have similar meaning. But, you know, I, I just think we need to be, a little bit more patient with people and a little bit more willing to not always want to jump straight to cancel culture, not always want to demean somebody because we think they've stepped out of line. When in truth, I, I don't think Cavani did anything wrong here other than not being aware of his surroundings, really. I mean, I wonder, has he used that phrase on social media before? Has anybody looked into that? Has he said it before on, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever uh, while he was in Italy or France where maybe it's not seen the same way? Um, it, it's it's something the FA are going to have to consider and I'm sure they'll they'll do a, you know, a thorough investigation. I just hope it's a fairer investigation than the ones we've seen in the past which didn't include language experts from the region just people who had learned Spanish in other South American countries. But, I mean, that's pointless. It needs to be somebody from the same country as Cavani who speaks that same specific dialect, that same terminology, that same slang. You know, I mean, it's the same thing as asking me to review something said by an English person. We speak the same language. But we use different terms, different phrases. Our slang is different than English slang. English slang is different than our slang. So I do think I do think it needs to be done properly, and I hope it is done properly. And if he gets banned, you know, he gets banned. But I think it will be unfortunate. Um, six games last night in the Premier League. Uh, we'll start with Arsenal one, Southampton one. Theo Walcott put his Southampton ahead with a really good goal. Uh, che Adams played him through and he does really well to uh, to race in on goal and then lift it over uh, Bernard Leno. It's a really good finish and Walcott has looked much better this season than he has in probably three or four years at this point. He had one good spell when he went to Everton first 
but then he sort of just tailed off. I thought Arsenal were better last night than they have been. But what was worrying to me was 35% possession at home against a team that would probably rather counterattack. Now, maybe Arteta has done that on purpose. Maybe his view is, let them have the ball. They can't counter us when they have the ball, and we'll counter them because we think there's weak points in their defence. But Arsenal, again, struggling badly to create anything of note. Baki Osaka makes the goal with a beautiful little run where he beats two or three defenders, plays it to Enketia, Enketia finds Aubameyang. And it is that typical Aubameyang finish. One touch, and then just slides it into the bottom corner. You'd just be a little bit concerned that Arsenal continue to struggle for creativity. And Danny Ceballos, the whole purpose of having Danny Ceballos was meant to be that he was going to add creativity in that midfield, but it hasn't happened yet. I did like the shape that Arsenal held last night. I did like Maitland, Niles and Saka as wingbacks. I thought that was the best pairing they've put up this season. I thought Maitland-Niles had a good game, and Saka was very, very good going forward. Obviously, he's not the best defensively, but he is he is an exceptionally young footballer. Um, one concerning thing for... Another, sorry, another concerning thing for Arsenal is the discipline. Another red card last night. That's the third in five Premier League games. And while, yes, it was two yellows rather than a straight red like Pepe or Xhaka... He'd only just had a yellow when he went and he made that second foul. And you just have to think that somebody needs to have a word with that Arsenal squad. Somebody, Arteta just doesn't seem to be taking a strong enough line with them. He doesn't seem to have instilled any real discipline into the team. And, you know, he's nearly a year into the job. He is a year into the job. So he needs to get that sorted or it's going to spiral out of control for him. It's another really good point for Southampton, though. Uh, They'll be really pleased. It keeps them exactly where they want to be, which is in the top four. They jumped to third because Leicester lost. And um, everything is going very, very well for Southampton. Very, very well. They they will be absolutely chuffed to pieces with where they are on the table. Uh, Up next, they do have a difficult game at home to Manchester City, but then they get Fulham away and West Ham at home to end the year. So they have a really good chance of ending the calendar year in the top four. I think if anyone had said to them at the start of the season, look, after 16 games, you'll be in the top four, they absolutely would have taken it and been delighted by it. For Arsenal, I mean, they stay 15th. They're three points ahead of Brighton, but they're three points below Newcastle. So that would be of concern to them. Uh, They've got tough games coming up as well. They get Everton away in the league, Chelsea at home, and then they go to Brighton, and that sees them out through the end of the year. They've also got Man City in the EFL Cup quarterfinal. Just to add more minutes to the legs, it's hard to see that Arsenal aren't 14th, 15th, going to the turn of the year, and that might be it. That might be farewell to Mikel Arteta. If they were to lose the next three, which is very possible, Everton at home are in good form. You know, they've they've turned things around. So you'd expect Everton to beat Arsenal there. 
the cup game, who knows? I don't think it's massively important. The the Chelsea game, I mean, Arsenal are in the bottom half, which means they're one of the teams that Chelsea can beat. And then that game against Brighton. Brighton have been really good at home against the bigger clubs. They haven't always gotten the results, but the performances have been there. And you do just have to look at it and think if they lose to Brighton, lose to Chelsea, and I'm sorry, lose to Everton, lose to Chelsea, and then lose to Brighton, that that is probably it for Arteta. There's probably no way back because even just those three results going that way, Brighton would probably jump them in the league. If Brighton took one point from their other two games, Brighton would jump them in the league. And all of a sudden, the only teams below you are the teams that are really scrapping for relegation. Um, so, yeah, concerning for Arsenal, but, you know, slightly better performance. Um, Leicester nil, Everton 2. This was a really good performance by Everton. Really, really good performance by Everton. They go 1-0 up with a Casper Schmeichel howler when he lets Richarlison's fairly tame shot uh, spill by him and into the net. <clears throat> Leicester, without Johnny Evans, who's suspended, Cagliostiancu, who's injured, they looked a little bit shook at centre-back. Indeed, he dropped in next to Fafana, which obviously is weaker as a centre-back than than any of your starters, but also weakens your midfield because now, now indeed he's not in your midfield and he is, you know, he's one of the best holding midfielders in the league. Uh, Mendy does a decent job, but he's a level below. Um, it was good to see Brendan go with that front four, though, with under Madison Barnes behind Vardy. And... Once they get everybody back, I wonder if he'll stick with that 4-2-3-1. As I said before, the only thing he doesn't have is a left-footed left-back, but, you know, Tim Castanier will play there. Um, I just think for balance, a left-footed left-back would be much better. But if you go in Didi and Thielemans in midfield, behind that front four, and then you get Evans and Sayanchu or Fafana and Sayanchu with Pereira and Castanier as your fullbacks. Or based on this season, maybe it's Pereira at right back and James Justin at left back. James Justin continues to be really, really good for them. Um, Everton last night dealing with no Hames and no, well, no fullbacks really. Four centre-backs strung across the back. Seamus Coleman not quite ready yet. Luca Dini out for you know a couple of months. But, I thought Everton controlled the game quite well. I, th- I thought they let Leicester play in areas they were comfortable letting them play. Leicester only had two shots on target in the game, despite dominating possession. Uh, I did think that the change in goal was interesting. The decision to leave Jordan Pickford out and bring Robin Olsen back in. Um, I, I, I think Olsen's the better goalkeeper, so that'll be one to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. It's just... It's interesting to do it after a win. You know, if they'd lost a couple of games, but they won their last game and they'd drawn the one before, so they they have been better results-wise. But maybe Carlo just thinks that Olsen is, is the better goalkeeper. Uh, Leicester dropped to fourth. They have a tough run of games to finish the year. They've got Spurs away, United at home, and then a trip to Crystal Palace, which won't be fun at all. So those are three tough games and will test their credentials as a top four team, without question. For Everton, they go up to fifth in the table, uh, only one point behind Leicester. So maybe my 
calling them to finish fourth wasn't as mental as I thought it was last week. Uh, as I said earlier, they've got Arsenal next. Then they play United in the League Cup. Uh, but then a trip to Sheffield United and then Man City at home. I mean, two of them you'd expect them to win. You'd expect them to beat Arsenal. You'd expect them to beat Sheffield United. You'd expect them to beat United in the Cup if they play a strong team. Because I think United will rest more players. That City game will be very, very difficult. But City aren't in great form this year. So, who knows? I mean, Everton could win all three and they could just launch themselves back up into the top four. Um, but, again, I think I think they'll be overly happy. Uh, overall, sorry, they'll be happy with where they are on the table. Fifth place, 23 points from 13 games. Back on track after that wobble that they had following the Merseyside derby. Um, and, you know, they're looking down at Chelsea, looking down at United, looking down at City. I, I don't see how Everton aren't happy. I really don't. A good performance last night and a big win uh, against a good team. Leicester are a good team. Then we had what I thought was one of the most entertaining matches of the season for a variety of reasons. Uh, I've said before, Leeds are, are just brilliant to watch for multiple, multiple reasons. Number one, they don't defend very well. So it's all a little bit chaotic. They're atrocious on set pieces. They just have no idea how to defend set pieces. It's almost as if all the players are five foot three. Because every game they play in, they're either conceding a goal from a set piece or the opposition are hitting the crossbar or they're pulling a great save out of the goalkeeper. Whatever it is, Leeds just can't defend set pieces. And the same thing last night. But going forward, they're just, they're so unique. They're just mental the way they attack. Like, some teams attack and it's like, you know, the front four and maybe the fullbacks get involved and maybe one of the midfielders will join or whatever. But for the, for Leeds, it's like they tend, tend to throw like seven and eight and nine players forward. And they just create these crazy overloads. Last night they had multiple occasions where they had like six on two overlaps. And it was just, it was f fascinating to watch. They scored some great goals as well. Rodrigo scored maybe the best one-two goal I've ever seen. From about 30 yards out, he plays a ball out to Jack Harrison. He's kind of central. Harrison's racing down the left. Plays the ball to him. Harrison, brilliant control, whips the ball across. And Rodrigo, having made that run into the box, just... Diving header, great finish, really good goal. Cousin Jeff had put Newcastle one up and Patrick Bamford had uh, had replied. And the first half wasn't, you know, was a fairly close encounter, a fairly tight affair. Um, but like Leeds just ramped things up second half. They had 25 shots in the game, 10 on target. They had four goals in second half. That Rodrigo won. Stuart Dallas scores. Alioski scores as one of those massive uh, overloads where they've just got numbers everywhere and it's a matter of who's going to score. He gets the goal. And then Jack Harrison uh, puts the icing on the cake with a, a brilliant strike from 25 yards, just arrows into the net. Uh, Kieran Clark did pull one back for Newcastle, but it was it was pretty much one way second half. It's a big, big win for Leeds. It's an important win for them because they have been 
a little bit off recently. They had back-to-back defeats uh, heading into this game. So they'll be thrilled to get a win. Next up for them is Manchester United away. That's a obviously one of the historic rivalries in English football. So that's going to be nice to see back on track. Then they get Burnley at home and then West Brom away under new manager Large Sam. Um, so it, it's going to be a difficult run. Like those two games, Burnley and West Brom, they're games they'll expect to win, but they're the type of teams that will really, really just bed in and put that deep block there and kind of invite them to come and attempt to beat them. Those games could end up with Leeds winning 3-0 or they could lose 1-0. They're just, they're so hard to pick with those type of games. Um, But I'm looking forward to the United-Leeds game this Sunday. I do think that's going to be a cracker of a game. It'll be interesting to see how United deal with, number one, Leeds been hyper-aggressive defensively and man-marking everybody. But number two, how United cope with the way Leeds counter-attack and with the overloads because United aren't particularly good dealing with counter-attacks because they've got two fairly slow centre-backs, fairly slow options in midfield. They tend to get turned around and outrun a little bit uh, and Juan Bissaka has to go around putting out fires everywhere. So he best get his hat on and and bring a bucket because he's going to be chasing a lot of people putting out a lot of fires this weekend. Um, For the tune... Obviously a disappointing result, but they still say 14th in the league. They're level on points now with um, with Leeds, but they do have a game in hand. And they have Fulham next um, at St. James's, Brentford in the League Cup, then Man City away, and then Liverpool at home. So tough games, very, very tough games coming up for, uh, for Newcastle. That Fulham game, they'll be targeting to win without question because they won't expect much. From the next two, and then it's Leicester for their first game of the new year, so that'll be tough as well. Moving on then to the late kickoffs. Uh, Fulham-Brighton, this was a big opportunity for Fulham to jump their way out of the bottom four, but just didn't take advantage of it, unfortunately. The two teams set up in the Christmas tree 3-4-2-1 setup, and just kind of cancelled each other out. It was an interesting game. Some decent football played, but nothing you'd class as a a great opportunity for either team. It was interesting to see both Mopay and Mitrovic remain on the bench. I'm not sure why Danny Welbeck continues to get uh, starting minutes. I did hear a commentator recently say, what was it he said? There's Molly. Molly says hello to everybody. Um, Oh, yeah, Welbeck went through and missed a, missed a one-on-one. And uh, the commentator said, that's the type of chance he normally gobbles up. And I'm thinking, have you ever seen Danny Welbeck play? That man doesn't score goals. He does everything but score goals. He is basically Divock Origi for an older generation. Um, like I say, it'd be disappointing for Fulham not to get the win, especially at home. Uh, but Brighton, will be, I think, will be chuffed with the point. Two points between those two teams. Uh, sitting... 17th and 16th respectively but Burnley in 18th do have two games in hand on both of them so you know Burnley have a real chance to jump their way out of the little bit of a mess they set themselves at the start of the season Uh, for Brighton next up they've got Sheffield United Um, they will expect to win that game Then then they go to West Ham 
and then they have Arsenal at home. So it is a difficult end of the season. There's there's points to be got there, but again, you could see them lose all three if if Sheffield United could turn things around. And for Fulham, as I said, they go to Newcastle next, and they get Southampton at home, and then Spurs away. That is a very difficult end of the year, and I do think Scott Parker's head is about to hit the block. I do think they're getting close to making a move. I, I think it's in part why uh, West Brom made their move so early, was to get Big Sam before Fulham did. I could be wrong, but I, that that's kind of my read on things. Um, West Ham won, Crystal Palace won. This wasn't a particularly good game of football to watch. Um, I did like that West Ham changed their shape. Went back to 4-2-3-1, uh, brought Ben Rama into the team, went with Ben Rama, Bowen, and, and Fornals behind Sebastian Halloran. I thought it did have some effect. Issa Diop back into the team as well. Interesting timing after he was linked to Liverpool during the week, and uh, Moyes came out and said he wasn't for sale. For Palace, I mean, they score with... Benteke scores again, so Guy's theory that he'll he'll score against all uh the west teams is is definitely working so i think we've figured out that he needs to only play against west teams with west in the name so uh you had one the other day guy west west adelaide or something and we've also got western sydney wanderers so maybe he needs to go play in the a league um Either way, either way, Benteke scoring three goals in, in, in the season is, is a little bit shocking after what he's done the last few years. Uh, he did find himself sent off later in the game, though. Two yellow cards, the second for a stray arm. Uh, a little bit harsh, I thought, but, you know, it is what it is. So he will miss the weekend game against Liverpool, um, which means they'll probably score a couple. Um West Ham got an equaliser through an incredible goal. Sebastian Haller with an amazing bicycle kick. Absolutely amazing. For a, for a man his size to do that is really, really impressive. And I thought he had a slightly better game than, than some of his more recent performances yesterday. Having more people in and around him really helped. And I, I think that that 4 3 one is something that West Ham should keep trying because it gets Ben Rama on the pitch with Fornals, with Bowen, with the striker. You still get your double pivot with uh, Rice and Suchek. And Kufal, the right back that they bought in the summer, is a very, very good player. They got him and Suchek from the same co- uh, same club. And they paid peanuts for him. Um, I don't know whether he was suggested by Suchek or, or whether they'd seen him when scouting Suchek, but... He has turned out to be a very, very good player for them. Really good again last night. Um, this wasn't much of a game. I, I didn't really enjoy this one at all, to be honest. And I'm knackered having watched it. So, um, yeah, one all was a fair result. Fair result. Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1 in the top of the table clash. This was a fascinating game of football where the Spurs were very, very clear in what they were trying to do as they lined out in a 4-4-2 with Sissoko and Bergvine sat in front of their fullbacks. Heusberg sat in front of the centre-backs and Lacelso trying to be something of a link to Harry Kane and Youngman Son up front. It was really clear that the Spurs had gotten the first goal. They were just going to make life horrible for Liverpool. They didn't. Mo Salah put Liverpool ahead 
uh, with a deflected effort that came off, I think, Toby Alderweireld's leg, though it looked a little bit like it could have been Eric Dyer either. Uh, Liverpool did control the first game, the first half, rather, had all the possession, had most of the good chances, uh, but kept finding Hugo Lloris directly in the middle of his goal, where they just kept putting the ball. It was it was frustrating to watch, but second half was interesting. Um, oh, sorry, I should point out that Spurs did score. In the first half, uh, Youngman Son racing on to a La Celso, uh, through ball to finish really, really well past Alison Becker. The second half, Spurs were... They were doing what you had expected them to do if they'd gotten the 1-0 lead. They had just decided that they were taking the draw, and that was it. Now, they did create some really good chances, and I think they had a higher XG in the game than Liverpool did. Uh, Kane missed a sitter. Uh, Bergwijn hit the post and missed another good chance. But 24% possession, only two shots on target in the whole game. Not exactly... uh, a wild performance from Spurs. 254 passes overall. Liverpool had more than that in Spurs' final third. So, you know, it does kind of tell you where the game was going. Spurs only competed, completed 61% of their passes as well. So they just they got no rest. That You could see them wearing down through the game. And one of the issues for Spurs this year has been how tough it is to play that Mourinho style of football. Not just physically, but mentally as well. To stay laser-focused for 90 minutes is very, very wearing. And you could see them last night starting to wear down. You could actually see it physically happen as they were just slowing and slowing and slowing. Serge Aurier had 70 brilliant minutes. And then for the last 20 minutes was absolutely shattered. And all he could do was foul Saudi Omani. All he could do was, was foul him. He couldn't keep up with him. Couldn't get close enough to him to win the ball. Just kept fouling him dragging out of him, kicking out of him. But he, you know, he put in a good show. Um, Liverpool get the win late on with a Bobby Firmino header from a corner. A little bit of controversy over it because Jordan Henderson allegedly blocked Eric Dyer's run. Dyer wasn't getting anywhere close to uh, Firmino and the contact between the two was nowhere near enough to send a man Eric Dyer's size Uh, tumbling to the ground. It's a really big win for Liverpool. And Fabinho Tavares put in an incredible performance last night. He he was... Anyone that tells you he wasn't man of the match is lying to you. He was just sensational last night. Pocketed Harry Kane. Talked a 19-year-old making his Premier League debut in Reese Williams through the game. Helped Andy Robertson get forward non-stop covered for the midfield when they went missing at times defensively. Um, Ginny Wijnaldum and and Curtis Jones did have brilliant games. Jones is just growing into this team. And I said before the season, I think by the end of this season, he may well have done enough to make himself a a nailed-on first-choice starter for next season. He is a sensational young player. And Liverpool are very, very lucky to have him. And I think to have him and Trent Alexander-Arnold in the team together is really, really special for Liverpool. Um, it's a little bit like when Owen came through and then Gerard came through a couple of years ago and you had those two academy prospects, or McManaman and Fowler, you know, a bunch of years before that. It is nice to have two. It really is. And, and two, this technically gifted is massive. So Liverpool will be delighted with that three points. Um, 
left it late, but but I, I feel they deserve the win. Mourinho came out afterwards and said that the best team lost. That, that's nonsense. Liverpool were the better team in the night. He wasn't entirely wrong when he said that they had a game plan and it went really well. Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with that. Look, you look at Liverpool's two goals. The Salah one is a bit of a fluke because it takes that big deflection. Firmino hasn't been a source of goals for the last season and a half. And Firmino scoring a header from a corner is probably not one of the things that, that Jose had planned for. Um, not something he thought would, would you know give Liverpool a goal. So I think they did limit Liverpool to you know, lesser chances, even though Liverpool had 17 shots and 11 on target, they had a lower XG than than Spurs. So I think he's he's sort of right in that the game plan worked. It just didn't work for the whole 90 minutes. In the same way, it didn't work for the whole 90 minutes against West Ham. It didn't work for the whole 90 minutes against Newcastle. The players are doing exactly what he asks, but they're just not able to sustain it until the final whistle. That is that is the one weakness in that team. That Spurs team is really, really good. And they made themselves really difficult to play against last night. They are horrible to play against. They can cut you apart at any time, but they make it so difficult to break them down. Um, Liverpool obviously go top of the league now, three points clear. Uh, they've got Crystal Palace, West Brom, and Newcastle up next. Those are three games they will be expecting to win. Now, two of them are away, and Liverpool's away form this year has been particularly poor. But maybe off the back of that performance last night and that win, the, the confidence will go back into the team. And, and you know, they've got a good break between Palace on Saturday and then West Brom on the 27th. So they'll be fairly pleased to have that that nice rest in there. Um, and hopefully they'll start to get the likes of Alcantara, the likes of Shakiri. Um, Joel Matip should come back at some point. Missed out again last night. Once Liverpool start getting some players back, they could start building a lead in the, the table uh, quite quickly because... Nobody else seems to want to be the front runner in this Premier League season. Every time Spurs have had an opportunity to, you know, make a mini jump and, and break a little bit from the pack, they failed. City, Chelsea, United, you know, they, they haven't been particularly good. Um you do you do think that if if Liverpool can keep the likes of Fabinho and Allison and Wijnaldum and the front three fit and two fullbacks, and then start to get the likes of Alcantara, etc. back, they could open up a lead, and they could win the league quite comfortably, um, because the standard of the league in general is is depressed quite a bit from where it was maybe two years ago. Um, for Spurs, they're still very much in the title picture. There's no question about that, but they've got a difficult couple of games coming up. They've got Leicester next, then they go to Stoke in the EFL uh, Cup, then they go to Wolves, and then it's um, Fulham at home uh, for their last game of the year. So two difficult league matches coming up back-to-back with uh, with Leicester travelling to London and then their trip to the Midlands. 
this is again like if they were to lose one of those games and Liverpool were to win they're six points all of a sudden and then that gap can just start to to pick up and up as as we go week to week so uh, Spurs will need to get back on track that's two games in a row where they've dropped points obviously the Palace draw as well Jose will know that that Liverpool team are for real and they can't afford many more slip-ups um like I say, Spurs Spurs are a very, very good team. They deserve to be where they are on the table. And you would hope that um you'd hope that Joseph give them just a little bit more freedom off the leash. And they he does really strangle a lot of the creativity that, that's in that squad. I mean I, I get it last night playing Sissoko, but you know, when you're playing Crystal Palace, you don't need to play Sissoko and Heusberg. Play Endembelli and Heusberg. Play Lacelso and Heusberg. Leaves Sissoko on the bench. You don't need him in those games. Um, so that's it. That is the six games from last night. The last thing I wanted to do, I had a couple of questions yesterday that I didn't get to. Um, so the first one is from Rob91. Uh, he says, on a scale of stupid to stupid, how stupid are West Brom for sacking Slavin Bilic? Also, thoughts on Liverpool being linked with Renato Sanchez as the Ginny Wijnaldum replacement. So, I actually think, I think the timing is bad with Billich because obviously they just had a really good result against Man City. But I do think this is something that's obviously been in the pipeline for a little while. I don't think it just happened out of the blue. I also think they were aware of the fact that Sam was going to get a phone call from another Premier League club. And I think they just moved quickly. To get him in, he is more suited to this type of thing than Billich. Billich may be a better manager if you're in the championship looking to get promoted, or if you're a, a, an established mid-table team. Billich may be the better fit then, but Sam is the better manager when your back is against the wall and you're scrapping against relegation. He's been there, he's done it, he's kept teams up. So I, I I don't think it is I don't think it is a stupid decision to be honest. I think the timing of it is bad though. Uh, as for Renato Sanchez, I, I'm a big fan. I have been for years. He was obviously a star, b- born at the Euro 2016 tournament. Um, moved to Bayern Munich and moved far too early. I mean, just wasn't ready for that kind of move to a club of of that size. But he's only 23. He's coming off a season in which he was named in the team of the season in the French League for Lille. He has turned things around massively. He didn't really get the opportunities he needed at Bayern. Um, and he had that disastrous loan spell, obviously, at uh, at Swansea. But I think he's a very, very good player. And I think he's the type of player that Jurgen Klopp could mould into the perfect midfielder for his system. Um from a physical standpoint, he's he's a freak. So, yeah, I'd I'd very much be in favour of of Renato Sanchez. Um, there's a there's a couple there that I'd love Liverpool to go for. Bubakari Samara is one. Uh, Sven Botman is another. Uh, Ziki Chalik, the the right back, I'd be in favour of going for him as a backup to Trent Alexander Arnold as well. I quite like Jonathan David. I like Ikone. There's there's a lot of good players there, and given the news that's come out about them and their financial situation this week, I think they're going to get the buzzards circling uh, come January. 
uh, a lot of French clubs are with with the financial situation for French clubs because of their TV deal collapsing. Uh, a lot of the French clubs are just going to be having car boot sales basically come January. Um, Felix uh, looks good on paper. Felix, for those that don't know Felix, he's a data scientist type of guy. He creates his own metrics, and they're very, very interesting. His Twitter handle is at L-G-O-P Felix. Uh, he's a really nice guy. He is unfor- Unfortunately, he's an Everton fan, but he's a really good guy, and he's really, really intelligent, and he, his, his data stuff is really good and really unique. So check him out there. Uh, he asks, name an ex-player each club in the bottom three wishes they could be- bring back to help the current side. Right. Uh, Sheffield United... I would say David Brooks. I think David Brooks is a brilliant player. Um, I think he's far too good for the championship. And I think he would provide the creativity that Sheffield United are really struggling with. Um, For West Brom, I mean, he's he's not great, but Craig Dawson? No, do you know what? Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans. Um, defensively they're just just a mess and their centre-backs have been awful this season so Johnny Evans would be comfortably the best defender there and um, yeah, Johnny Evans for sure Burnley I'll go Michael Keane who's rediscovered some good form Um, Keane and Tarkovsky maybe at at centre-back Ben Mee hasn't been particularly good this season and he's obviously obviously missed a lot of time injured, so you know you do make an allowance for that. But if they had Michael Keane, then they'd have three competent centre backs rather than just two. So I'll say Michael Keane. Um, and then if I if I want, could add Fulham, um, Fulham is difficult. Louis Saha would be would be great. I know he's long retired, but Louis Saha for for goal scorer because the one thing they are missing, like the defense has improved, the midfield has improved, and the attack has improved without Mitrovic because it's getting a lot more movement and pace. But I think if you put Louis Saha into that team with Luckman and Loftus Cheek behind him in his pomp, obviously, I think he'd score a lot of goals, and I think they'd be a a pretty good team. We'll, They'd be a mid-table team. They wouldn't be any higher than that, but they'd be a good team. Um, so, yeah, David Brooks, Johnny Evans, Michael Keane, and Louis Saha. Uh, I think those four, in their prime, at their best, would, would do good jobs. Um, Sheffield United have a couple of options. I mean, Harry Maguire, Kyle Walker, you know, good players. But I think David Brooks is special, so I'd go for him. And that's it. That is our show today. Slightly shorter than yesterday, thankfully. Um, apologies for yesterday again it was it was quite a long one but uh, there was a lot of questions to get through and I wanted to get through them all so thanks very much for listening uh, thank you to Guy Drinkle as always thank you to Fox Hunt. I will see you tomorrow take care enjoy the games tonight obviously two games taking place Manchester United and Sheffield United and Aston Villa Burnley so both of them worth watching for different reasons take care of yourselves goodbye 
Sports Social Podcast Network.